We'll check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143 or at blindknowledge.com. Yep. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Paranormal and Normal. I'm your host, as always, Jeremy, here trying to make the world seem a little more normal. Does it ever happen? Eh, we've accomplished it a few times, but it usually doesn't, and we're not going to strive for it today because I have a guest I am very <laughs> excited to talk to, and you'll see why I say that in a, in a little bit, I'm sure. But my guest today is Lauren Wittig, and I hope I didn't butcher that. But Perfect. A, in, yes. An intuitive healer and award-winning author with over 600K books sold, over 600,000 people. I was so impressed when I saw that last night. I was like, oh, my God, I cannot wait to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, we are back once again. And first things first, how are you doing today, Lauren? I'm doing great. I, I started the day with a, a neighborhood holiday party. So it's been it's been a good day so far. Not something you hear in the morning usually, but that's a great thing. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, hot chocolate and cookies, and and the neighbors brought ah. their dogs, and it was really nice to see everybody. So yeah, my day started off great. Well, glad to hear it. I yeah. uh, well, I got to sleep in, so that's always good for my mm -hmm. weekend if it starts off that way. But um, well, the first question I ask everybody is, what brought you into this paranormal slash spiritual world that we now coexist in? You know, it's been a long journey, and I think my first experiences were when I was about 10 or 11, and we moved into the house of a, a distant relative after she passed away. My parents bought her really old house. It was built in the 1820s, I believe, and um, my bedroom was our co the cousin's bedroom, and she had died in that room, and um, she had talked about one of her aunts coming and sitting at the end of her bed and talking to her regularly long after she had passed. And apparently, I don't really remember it, but my dad used to tell stories about me telling him stories about my adventures with the ghosts in my bedroom. Um, and so that was one of my very first experiences. And as so much with the work that I do when I'm not entirely in um, the ordinary world, I don't, my memory doesn't always, I don't always remember everything that I do. So um, people are constantly going, you remember when you told me this? And it's like, no, I really don't. <laughs> But the, the first time I was really aware as an adult, I was um, it was when I was writing books and we had a conference every year um, in um, uh, I can't even think of the name of it anymore. But this little town in West Virginia, this old ancient hotel that was known to be um, uh, uh, had ghosts in it. I'm going to get my words working any second now. 
Um, but I had had to go up a, a night early because I was on one of the committees I had to be there to set up. And there was a torrential storm. And this is set up high over the confluence of two rivers. There's a train track that comes through. So you hear the trains at night. And this place is ancient. The windows rattle. The, everything is a little funky. Uh, nothing's really, you know, uh, straight or flat. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of building. And I had been through a hurricane here in my house. Um, in 2003. So just a couple of years before that. And I had some pretty serious PTSD from that experience. We had trees falling on the house. The kids were young. We were, and we wrote it out. So I'm in this room by myself trying to sleep at night. And the, the wind is actually making the curtains move in the room. And I had to put towels around the air conditioning unit to keep the rain out. And I'm freaking out a little bit. And all of a sudden I feel, oh, and I have to say that my bed is up in the corner of the room against the wall. So there's nothing behind me but wall. And I had my back up almost to the wall completely. And I feel this very calm hand just pat me on the back, my shoulder. Mm. And it felt very grandmotherly. And it felt very calming. And the next thing I knew, I was waking up in the morning. I, so I slept through the rest of the storm. But that's my first experience knowing that there was nobody there. But I very, very clearly felt that that little pat on the back um, and that knowingness that I was going to be okay. That's gorgeous in a way. It's almost like uh, something you see in a movie, like a spirit, like just letting someone know everything's going to be okay. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, I guess a spirit patting you in the back can go one of two ways and thank God it went the way it did for you. Cause I yeah, mean, yeah, some, yeah. Pe some people, some people would be uh, shagging and Scooby doing it out of there. Right? <laughs> that happened, but <laughs> <laughs> but wow i mean and i've been trying to push my brain to see if i can think of the hotel you're talking about because i hear about it was called hilltop house and it was in oh. the name's going to come to me any moment now uh, harper's ferry west virginia that's the that's the place oh yeah Ooh. which is a beautiful wow. little town we went there every we took over the whole hotel i was um part of a um a romance writers of america group that was based out of washington dc at the time because that's where i lived um, and we went every year in the spring and it was beautiful and it was way up high above all the rivers and it was known and you'd hear them. You could hear footsteps. If you were on the top floor, you could hear footsteps above you at night. Nothing. There wasn't even an attic up there. <laughs> you know? So it was well known to be, um, haunted, but nobody was ever, you know, scared or harmed by any of it. It was very um, benign. So, yeah, well, I mean, so that was my first adult experience with really something from the other side that I couldn't explain in any other way. Well, I mean, Harper's Ferry, that's that town, if I'm not mistaken, has a lot of historical significance as it is. So yeah, It does. And a lot of old buildings that have been there since, you know, before the, the Civil War. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned my books. And one of the things that I have woven into four of the six novels that I wrote are these paranormal gifts? And I was doing that even before I had that experience at Harper's Ferry. Um, and, and so there's a part of me that clearly knew what I could do, but it wasn't my conscious mind by any means. Exactly. You didn't just, it, it, you weren't woken up by it yet. Kind right. Of. You didn't have right. your spiritual awakening. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's, oh, that's new. <laughs> Actually, no, no, because I just, I just realized it actually tells you how many people are watching on Twitter, and I never did that before today. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. So let's talk actually about what you, well, about your abilities. 
when did you first realize you were a healer and how did that like what did you actually get did you get um did you get trained by another healer or did you work it all out on your own uh some of some of all of that i was probably in my early 40s and i started into menopause really early in my like 39 i had my first hot flash so by my my early 40s i was in the midst of what turned out to be a really long hard slog and i was having um a lot of problem with asthma which i had not really had much before but it was really becoming an issue and my best friend who lives up in about two and a half hours away from me now um had been seeing a healer in you know, up where she lives and she said lauren I think this woman could really help you. Um, maybe you should, you know, make an appointment with her. And I was like, well, I'll do anything at this point. You know, <laughs> I was that desperate. And, um, and I said, but I, I can't come up there to, to do this right now. I had kids in school and my husband was, you know, away three days a week at that point working. And uh, I said, I just can't come up there. She said, oh, she can do it over the phone. <laughs> and I went, okay. <laughs> And I, I had an hour long on the phone conversation, a session with this woman. And in that hour, I could feel her working on me. Mm -hmm. I could feel the energy of it. Um, I had learned that I could feel energy actually years earlier when I was getting acupuncture. And one day I felt this line of, it felt like ants crawling up my leg from needle to needle. And um, the, the doctor said, oh, you're just feeling the energy move, the chi move. <laughs> so I knew I knew I could feel it. But that was the first time I had really experienced sort of a full body effect of it. And um, and she says to me in the midst of this um, it's a healing session, she said, mom, uh, she said, Lauren, your mother is sitting on your chest. And my mother was a narcissist. She was she went into dementia, you know, about that time, too. She was she was diagnosed and a really, really hard relationship with her. And so she worked to get my mother off my chest, essentially. And she had me do things like blow out hard and help them, you know, to help the energy move. And I have never had asthma since that one hour on the phone. Hmm. And I'm 63 now. So that's 20 years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. A couple of things I gather from that is one is I need to get acupuncture and try that because I, didn't want to try that for years. It just mm -hmm. the idea of needles being put in my body kind of turns me off. But I get um, that. <laughs> but I, I have been working with a Reiki practitioner for the last god six six months. It seems like, mm -hmm. and I know I can. I now know I can feel energy move when it, when she's doing her work. Good. So or when I do it myself, even at this point, I can feel it. So yeah, now that makes me, that makes me want to try acupuncture because I want to see if I can feel it then too. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if everybody does, but I certainly did. And it was surprising to me. I didn't know what it was until the doctor said, oh, you're just feeling the energy. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. The first time the first time I felt it during Reiki, I, I started tearing up because it was just like, I didn't know what it was. And it felt it felt good, though. It wasn't like it yeah. hurt. It felt, ama it felt amazing. Oh, yeah. like, it was like, oh, my God, this is actually yeah. possible. Like, I was always a naysayer for a long time on stuff like that. Even doing <laughs> this podcast in the beginning, like, I didn't. I believed it was possible. I just never experienced it. But once I experienced it, it was just like, okay, now I fully believe like all these all these people in my podcast because I can get yeah. sensations when they're talking to me and I can kind of feel things going yeah. in my head. Yeah. It, so you have been attuned. You've been tuned mm -hmm. up essentially. Um, you get in the energy of people like me, and my my energy is so much higher than it used to be. 
Um, and, and it feels good, right? That higher vibration feels good, that higher in, oh, level right of up. energy. And so people just sort of naturally rise up into it. And it's not a conscious thing at all. I mean, it can be, but it's, I mean, it's like walking into a room where people are laughing and you start laughing and you can't explain why, you know, exactly. it's that kind I mean, of, of transmission. <laughs> it is. I mean, I literally come out of these Reiki sessions and I'm like basically almost skipping, wanting to clap uh -huh. my feet together and everything. Like, it's just, it's such a good feeling. Yep. I mean, your, yep. your kids can take that, your kids can take that feeling away pretty fast if they're not in a good mood, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that much, but that's why you have uh, to learn to raise yourself back up. <laughs> I have. I mean, I have to some degree, but we're also we're also dealing with a narcissist. And that's the most I can say about that situation. But we're, we're also dealing with yeah. a narcissist at the moment. So it's fun, you know? Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you. Your healing work, is it, is it related to your related to your writing at all? Like, have you encompassed the two together at this point? Well, I actually put it in my writing before I knew I was a, a, um, a healer. I, my last book came out in 2015. So I was, I was getting healing work at that point, but, um, but I hadn't really thought about doing it myself. Um, and that, that same healer that helped me with the asthma, I went back to several years later with a, with a life changing experience. Um, so can I share that one with you? Of course you can. <laughs> So I, experiences. <laughs> I have had allergies my whole life, cats, dogs, pollen, ragweed was my worst. Um, and, you know, horses, all kinds of things, bad, uh, allergies. I grew up in the deep South with a lot of mold, with a house full of animals, old house. Um, I always had allergies. And as I was going through that menopausal stage, my allergies got worse and worse and worse. And I, eventually I was kind of locking myself in the house from about March until after the first freeze in the fall, I'm in Virginia. So that's a pretty big part chunk of the, of the yeah. year to be kind of shut inside with the air conditioning running constantly to filter the air and air filters going. Um, medication was not managing it. It was getting worse and worse. And I finally decided that I was going to go to a, an allergist and get tested for shots because nothing else was working. And this particular allergist did uh, two days of shots. So you had to come in two days in a row and they did like, I don't know, 25, 30 things in your arm all at once. So the first day I will go in and I'm, I'm having that done. And about less than 10 minutes after the nurse got done injecting everything into me, I started going into an anaphylactic reaction, which is a body-wide allergic reaction that is deadly if not controlled. And I knew what was happening because my son has allergies that um, create anaphylaxis. So we had been through his whole childhood carrying EpiPens around. Um, so I began very calmly to just explain to what the nurse what I was experiencing. And she went and got the doctor and they came in and they worked on me. I think it must have been about an hour. I had multiple rounds of epinephrine. I had I had Benadryl. I had, you know, they were keeping my making sure my airway was open. Um, and I ended up in the ICU overnight just to be I was stabilized at that point. But just to make sure it didn't rebound, because that's another thing that can happen. So my same friend, she's my best friend. We would talk for hours, you know, several times a week. I told her about this event and she said, well, you should go back and see Wanda, which was the name of the person who helped me with the asthma. And I was like, yeah, I got nothing else to do. And I'm so, I'm so freaked out by this. I'm not, I can't get shots and I can't live like this. So I actually made an in-person appointment with her because I got to go visit my friend, stay with her and then go, you know, so I had the moral support for it, but I didn't tell Wanda why I was there. I just came in for a session. Um, 
And, and partly because I kind of wanted to see what would come up. I didn't want to lead it anywhere. And she, the very first thing she asked me was, Lauren, what do you believe? And I was raised in the Episcopal church. I don't go to, I haven't gone to church in decades at this point, but I was raised in the Episcopal church. And so my first thought is belief system is religious. And I, so I said, you know, well, I, I believe that there's something greater than us, but I don't go to church. She said, no, no, that's not it. She said, I'm, I'm going to work on you a while and then, and then we'll see what comes up. And she works a lot with angels. That seems to be her major source of information. So after a while, she says to me, Lauren, you believe that you have to be afraid of everything in the world. And I went, no, I don't. Oh, wait a minute. It, you know, when you live in that state your whole life, you don't know that's not normal, that that's not where most people can, can live. And most people don't live in a state of constant fear. Maybe they do these days. But, um, but mm -hmm. so she then began to describe to me how she was releasing this fear energy that I was carrying in my body. And as she saw it as little black snakes coming out. And then she had me pretend to, you know, or imagine a laser that I could shoot them down with and disintegrate them and let them go. And she worked on me for uh, easily half an hour, just on that. And when I got up at the end of that session, she opened the door and she had a cat who I had very carefully not touched and avoided coming in because of my allergies. The cat came in, jumped up on the table I was sitting up on, came up behind me, purring and, you know, rubbing on me. And I reached back and pet that thing with no fear at all. And I walked out of that place with no allergies. And this is probably 15 years ago now. Um, and so I've, I still have a little bit of hay fever in the spring, but I use a nose spray and that's all I need. I was taking, you know, Benadryl and all, all kinds of things before. Um, and it's just for a little period of time. Other than that, I have no allergies anymore. Um, and it is remarkable. And I am out in the world in ways that I have never imagined I would be able to be. So that for me, I came out of that session realizing that I didn't have allergies going, I want to do that too. And that's when I started looking into becoming a healer amazing that 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 story is life-changing and that is yeah. an amazing st story i mean and it's funny because i know pe i know people like that i met them in my life who are just scared of everything in the world and like mm -hmm. they don't even realize they are they just blame everything else for their thoughts right. and yeah i'm like there's no getting through to them unless they see professionals and a lot of them are scared to see professionals so right yeah i mean yeah. i wish there, i wish there's a way to break through people like that and actually get them to almost trick them into seeing people, but I mean, yeah. And it takes, it takes a while. I mean, I, I say that happened in an hour, but I also, between those two events with her, I had, you know, been introduced to a psychic reader who'd done, who told me I'd been a shaman in a previous life or many lives. And I had, uh, my friend had dragged me along with her to, you know, various groups and things to, and I, so I'd started learning about it. And, um, and, so I think I was ready for it. I know I was ready for it. As a healer, you can only heal what's ready to shift is the way I call it. It's ready to shift away from pain, fear, whatever it is, into a better place. So so there makes, was preparation. Makes, makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, so what you're kind of saying, though, is that people need to learn to be vulnerable in order to control the, control this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Vulnerability feels very scary to most of us. And it's actually kind of a superpower. 
Um, and there, there was, um, I ran a women's circle for the two years before the, the pandemic. And I was towards the end of my mom's life. And so a narcissistic mom with dementia living in a place she doesn't want to be. Her husband kind of deserted her in the last year. So it was just me and her. And, um, and uh, I, so I ran this women's group partly because I needed a place where I could talk to women about things that were happening to me that I had nobody else to talk to. And I, I read it, I led it. So I got to bring whatever the, we did twice a month, I would bring the topic. I would sort of meditate on it and see what needed to be talked about. And I always came out of there with new perspectives and with a broader view of, of how I could choose to interact with my mother, how I could maybe even shift my feelings. That was harder to do. But, um, but what I heard again and again from the women in there was that uh, they would actually thank me for being vulnerable. I'd be in tears. I you know, have a hard time talking um, because it gave them permission to be vulnerable. You know, to see somebody else being vulnerable bravely <laughs> um, is powerful. See, I, that's something I've always struggled with in my life as well. Because, I mean, you can ask my wife, she'll tell you the same thing. I am too confident most times. And I always mm. think that everything is going to go my way, which it usually does. I've always had the good luck. Like I've always just had a good luck generally, but things always work out. But mm -hmm. I mean, I also overlook some things because I am not letting myself be vulnerable because I think I have it all under control always. Uh -huh. So that's a little issue I always had. And so I can, I can relate to that a lot because I, I had to teach myself at one point to like start looking around a little more. I mean, I was the type of guy who would go to like into Boston and leave my car unlocked while I'm parking the side street because <laughs> I, because nothing's gonna happen to it. It's it'll uh -huh. be fine. It'll be uh -huh. it'll be fine. I mean, and, and it always it always was. There was never anything missing. There was never any damage or any mm -hmm. car parts missing. But I just I'm still learning that to this day. It's still it's still a learning process to teach myself. I need to be more careful of everything. But I mean, at the same point, I don't want to get to the point where I am one of those people who's scared of everything. Right. And there is a, there, I mean, there are times where you need to be aware of your physical safety, right? Especially as women, you know, we're, we're trained really early on to be very careful. Um, but understanding that sometimes that's valid. Sometimes, I mean, fear is, we have fear as, as an, a tool because it keeps us safe. You know, you want your kid to learn that if he touches the flame, it's going to burn him, mm. you know? So that you know, the body reacts and you have that little fear thing that goes, oh, no, if I touch that, it's going to hurt. You know, you want um, you want to be able to learn that without actually having to experience it first to learn it. Yeah, <laughs> preferably. Yes, preferably. Yes, preferably. We, yeah, <laughs> we, we sometimes have those hard headed kids that just have to, you know, like experience it first <laughs> to get through. But so so yeah, that's, yeah. you know, um, it, it, there is there is a purpose for fear, but we we're not meant to live in it all the time. Um, and somebody I met early on when I was just starting in a class, starting to learn how, how to be a healer, you know, different modalities and things, um, offered up the, the, this beautiful metaphor for how to get rid of, of the, the, the fear or the anxiety or whatever you you're carrying that you don't want to carry anymore. She said, if you look at a gazelle, like you see a video of a gazelle in Africa and it's being chased by a cheetah, it's like full out everything on high alert. And then the minute the cheetah goes away, it shakes itself up and it goes back to eating grass. And so I uh, thought that was great. I mean, you physically can shake things out of your body. You know? <laughs> um, 
So that's what we want to be able to do without having to actually shake ourselves is to is to react when we need to, when it's when it's in our best interest to react with fear, but not carry it forward, not keep holding on to it. Um, and that's because that ends up being in your body forever until you do work with somebody to help you get rid of it. And it often turns into pain or disease. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay. All I got to say is I now have that song, Shake It Off, stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Shake it oh, off. Shake it off. <laughs> God help me. I, I worked in retail too long and I had that stuck in my head too many times. God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, and it, it, you're right. I mean, it's just, my dogs are the same way. Like, I mean, with them, it's just the wind, though. There's no real predators. It's just literally the wind and they mm-hmm. get all jumped up and hyper. And then it's just, they just literally like shake off and they're like, okay, yeah. there's nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm always saying they're freezing my ass off like, it's the wind, you morons. Let's go inside. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. I love my I love my dogs, but not in the winter so much. In the winter, I dread it. I dread the the time taking them out in the winter. But yeah. So yeah. (laughs) But you when you mentioned, I mean, I'm gonna gonna go back a little bit to you when you mentioned uh, your mother was a narcissist, you mentioned, and that was a lot of the problem. Mm -hmm. That that laid on you for a while, literally and figuratively, but yes. <laughs> did you eventually learn to forgive your mom? Like it, I'm, I'm assuming postmortem, but um, like, no, actually it wasn't how- postmortem. It oh, really? Yeah. There was probably the biggest lesson I had with her. And now I am a strong believer that the things that are challenging in our lives are there for a reason. There's something we need to learn from it. Um, often we've, we've made an agreement with these challenges, (laughs) whether they're person or other, some other things before we've come in into this lifetime, because we want to bring something in and heal it. Right. Um, and a a lot of us who are healers have brought in a ton of shit from past lives this time, excuse my language, um, because it's (laughs) time to clear it so that we can move into something new. Um, and so my mother in hindsight, hindsight's always easier than living in the moment, um, gave me a ton of lessons. One of which is I'm a very strong woman because I had to be, to be in relationship with her. Um, but the, the last lesson that I, I learned from her and I knew I had to learn it before she died was forgiveness. And I had resisted forgiving for a long time. I mean, it was like, how can I forgive her? She's done this and this and this and this. Kept telling the stories of all the times that she had gaslit me or undermined me or set me up to to fail. And then when I didn't, she got pissed off. You know, when I succeeded, it was like, (laughs) I'd get the backlash. And on top of that, I had an alcoholic dad who um, was wonderful when he wasn't drinking. But so the two of them together was a real potent (laughs) way to grow up. Um, But about four months before she died, um, I realized that she was, I I went to visit her at the the place she lived near me, but uh, it was a, um, you know, um, assisted living facility. And, and she was walking down the hallway and she could, she'd have to stop and she was kind of gasping for breath. And she was not that way. She was, you know, pretty physically um, able up until the, you know, about that time. And, I visited her again a few days later and it was getting worse. And I, so I finally took her into um, you know, an urgent care and that had her looked at and they discovered that her abdomen was full of, of um, liquid, some sort of, of liquid. And so they sent us a 
immediately to the hospital so she could get checked out properly. And it turned out, long story short, that she had um, ovarian cancer and it was already at stage four. And um, she didn't, she wasn't feeling any fear, any uh, pain. Um, she didn't know it was happening to her. So for her, it really was not a big deal other than having to get that fluid drained. Um, and for me, it was uh, a wake up moment of she's never going to change, which I knew from the dementia anyway, but I wasn't willing to, to face it. But I realized at that point, she was never going to change into the person I thought she should be. And the only way that I could say goodbye with peace was to forgive her. And it's been a real interesting journey because I, I was able to do that. And I um, there's a wonderful Hawaiian prayer, the Ho'oponopono prayer. Um, you know, I, I please... It's like it's it's four or five statements, and one of them is, you know, uh, I thank you, I love you, uh, please forgive me, I forgive you. Um, it's it's basically that, um, and I said it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> and I and I then I felt it shift. I felt I felt a real shift in in my heart, in my heart chakra, and I was able to be very um, present for her in those last few months of her life without the anger and, um, and protection. Cause I had, I'd learned to protect myself energetically from her a lot over those last few years. And the minute I let go of the defensiveness around her, she softened and it was yeah. remarkable. Um, she could never change because in part I was always, you know, sort of reinforcing that, that, uh, defensive uh, behavior but when I softened my, my attitude and my, my feelings, her, she softened. And so those last couple of months particularly were kind of sweet. Um, they were hard. She's dying. I still hadn't worked through everything, but the forgiveness part of it was um, magical. And it wasn't something I ever thought I was going to be able to do. Wow. I mean, then it's always a shame when that happens. I mean, it's meant to happen then, but it's a shame that it happens that late in their life where it's, mm -hmm. you don't get to spend as much time as you could afterwards with them. I mean, I went, I mean, your parents kind of remind me somewhat of my parents, uh, the father, not so much. I mean, but I had an amazing father. I mean, yeah, he would go to the bar after work once in a while, but he was mm -hmm. actually a, he was a fun drunk. So oh, it wasn't okay. like he, <laughs> there's a difference there's a big yeah there is a difference there is a difference because mine was an angry drunk he was wonderful mm. when he wasn't drunk but he was an angry drunk yeah my mother on the other hand my father would always see the positive in every situation even negative ones he would see the positive and he would try to tell you like it's gonna be okay because this this is why it's gonna be okay and or and he would always be happy for you if you accomplish something no matter how mm -hmm. small feet he would be happy for you my mother has always been the opposite. She sees hmm. the negative to this day in every situation. And it's just, I mean, I lost my car. I lost my car back in September when the town, a town near the town I live in flooded. And I got stuck hmm. in a big, I got stuck in a big puddle. And basically my car short, shorted out completely. And it was erected at that point. So, yeah. um, eh, I, I mean, I 
I saw the positive right away, but I'm like, well, this car, I've been driving this car for a decade. I've been needing a new car anyway. So insurance is going to buy me a car now. But right. <laughs> that, that's how I thought about it. Of course, my mother did not see it that way and went the complete opposite way of, oh, this is horrible. This is the last thing you need right now. Like, it is, but it also is going to, and yeah, I had to borrow her car for like a month. Thank you, mom. Mm-hmm. But still, it's just yeah. like, like, yeah, I had to borrow your, I had to borrow your car, and you're calling me every day for the first two weeks of that month, saying like, "Oh, you're worried that something's happened to the car." I'm like, "No, it's not. I've been driving for 20 years at this point. Like, nothing's going to happen to the car." <laughs> but mm-hmm. It's just <laughs> like you got. I I try to teach my kids this too. You got to see the positive in every bad situation because yeah. that's the only yeah. way you're going to get through things is if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And that's something that I did, was not good at. I was a catastrophizer for a long time because life had shown me that <laughs> it could be a catastrophe pretty often, but I was uh, lucky oh, enough. Is. Yeah. I was lucky enough to marry a man who had grown up in a, a leave it to beaver family and <laughs> is very calm and very logical. And um, even when our son came along, who was very sickly as a, as an infant, even, um, he was he was my rock. And I literally would ask him, especially in our early days of our marriage and when we were dating, I would go, I'm I'm having this experience with my parent because they were both alive at the time. Is that normal? <laughs> you know? And he would either go, yeah, that's normal. Or he'd go, oh, no, that's not normal. So there was a, a validator uh, part there. But he was he's always the one who's been, you know, we're going to be OK. This is hard, but we're going to be OK. And, um, and so it's, it is good to have someone like that in your life. It really is. And it's taught me to, to begin to look at, at things in a more positive way. So I do that now. Exactly. I try to teach my kids that every day of my life when they get upset, it's just, which with my kids is often because they just don't understand some things, but, <laughs> uh, I mean, kids be kids, but uh-huh. I mean, it's just, I always try to teach them like there's a benefit to everything in the world you just gotta find it sometimes you gotta dig through things to find it sometimes it's not going to be presenting itself to you saying here i am yeah (laughs) and sometimes it doesn't make itself understood for a long time i mean there's there's things that i look back on now and go oh that was why i had happened you know so yeah so but you yeah you do have to look for the good and i think that's something really important in the world right now is we need to be looking for the good because the bad exactly. is really oh. in our face. In a world where there's a hole in the sun, the t- the size of the earth times seven, it's getting bigger every day, it seems like. Yeah, it's, there's, and the government doesn't want to admit anything's happening. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Gotta love it. Got, so, yeah, yeah. You have to, in, in, these days more than ever, you have to stay positive. I mean, I think the last three yes. years taught us that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And well, it, it really will affect your health. I mean, one of the things I like about what you've said is that you you just expect the good things. You're yep. setting an intention for good things to come to you. You're actually magnetizing that to you when you when you have those kinds of thoughts and 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 especially if you state them, um, you know, verbally or write them down. You it's it's no um, coincidence that you hear about magicians having their spells or witches having their spells. Those are words. Words are powerful. They're magical. And if you can bring more of the positive words into your, whether it's just into your brain or into your life verbally, uh, it's, it's incredibly powerful what it can make happen for you in your life. It is. I mean, manifestation is a very real thing. I try to teach my kids mm-hmm. of this all the time as well. Like if you want, I mean, and they're, they're pretty good at vocalizing what they want. So I mean, <laughs> just, just 
and act. I just tell them, act like you're going to get it. Act like you're going to yes. get it. Don't expect, don't expect me to buy it, but act like, act like you're going to get it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Act, <laughs> act as if you already have. It's, um, yeah. it's really powerful. Your, your brain is not, it, it doesn't differentiate now from later or now from the past. It always feels it's right. You know, like it's, it's happening to you right now. So if you are living those old stories, like I did with my mother of all the, the harm that had come, then your brain thinks you're still there. So you're going to experience exactly. all of that experience and you're going to bring more of that to you. If you instead, you know, visualize the, like the, the beautiful relationship you have with your mother in the future, but you just act as if it's already that way in your brain and you tell yourself it is and tell you that story, you actually rewire your brain and you change the way your body reacts. So exactly. I'm reading a Joe Dispenza book right now. So I got all this right in front of my mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I, I talked to, I talked to enough people who say the same thing and that's what they do for a living is they try to mm-hmm. teach people that method of manifestation and yeah. meditation and all that put together. But so to bring it a little more back to the paranormal side of things, mm-hmm. how do you, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people that answer this question, but it's always different. And that's the interesting part. How does someone know if they have gifts that are, metaphysical or spiritual like how how someone realize they have gifts that's a really good question i know i have mine because my best friend would lauren would say to me lauren i saw somebody try this why don't you try it i bet you can do it and i she's never come up with something i couldn't do um i'm multi abled i guess when it comes to this stuff but i think a lot of it is just beginning to pay attention to uh, your gut instincts, your intuition, those little voices in your head, that little knowing that I really shouldn't go that way because I don't know why, but I shouldn't go that way. I'm going to drive this way this time. And then you find out later there's a big wreck in that way. You know, those little things um, are, those are your gifts trying to get your attention. They're, they're actually still, you, you are expressing your gifts through that but you haven't recognized them yet. You haven't become consciously aware of using that ability. And for me, um, it really just came from play. Let me play with this. I have, I have a pendulum. I usually have it right here. Oh yeah. It's right in front of me. I have a pendulum right on my desk. And this was one of the first things I learned to play with. And I would just ask it yes and no questions. And I would watch it answer and it wasn't always the way I would have answered, you know? So, you know, having things to play with, I started playing with Oracle cards. I really played with them. I just pulled them out and said, let's see what comes up, you know? And then I learned that I was actually getting messages from them, that what I had, you know, intuited from the cards was what happened or was the direction that I went in, you know? So bring, bring a sense of play to it um, and pay attention to your body. Your body is a great communicator. For me, I feel energy in the palms of my hands. So when I was first learning, I would like walk up to a tree and say, can I feel this tree's energy? Oh yeah, I can. I'd feel a little tingling, you know? Um, and just start there because that opens your your, your senses up beyond your five senses. And, the, and you begin to um, learn the language of them. See, I've been, I've been told I'm an empath. I don't have any definitive proof of this completely yet, but mm-hmm. I have some, I have like the reason I'm bringing this up even is because like, even like as soon as you lifted that pendulum up, like all of a sudden, because my towel is always my upper, upper torso. I get like a feeling through my 
chakra, one of my chakras, in my in like near my near my heart, like whatever, like something's yeah. near, or or there's some kind of energy work going on. Uh-huh. And as soon as you lift that pendulum, as soon as you lift that pendulum, my chest got all tingly, and I was like, "What just <laughs> happened?" I'm like, "Something, something just happened," and I'm like, "It's one of my, it's one of my friendly household spirits in the garage, maybe." But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, so I mean, I you have. I because I learned through this podcast, I have abilities talking to healers, talking to mediums, talking to psychics, and I'm sorry, everybody, clairvoyants, and all the other professions mm-hmm. I cannot think of at the moment. That's because I started feeling things in my head, in my chest when I like I would talk to them, and I'm like, I I started talk, I started actually like at first few times I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, this is weird, but. Mm-hmm. After a couple of times, I was like, "Screw it!" You know what? And I just started telling these people, "Like, I'm getting a really strange." And they would be like, "Because you have abilities, and you are now—they're opening. They're, they're like, opening. You diving, yeah. you diving into this world with everybody else in the paranormal field is making like your abilities just activate, and it's making you wanna. Right. Your body wants to find out more about it. Yep. So that's why I started. That's why I started the Reiki when I found someone that agreed to do it for just free promotion of my show, and it just worked because I mean. And now, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I've been told I'm in my awakening. I'm waiting to see how it ends. Mm-hmm, I'm waiting to see how mm-hmm. it ends because it's. Oh, it's a journey. Chaos. <laughs> the, cha- the, the, the chaos of that definitely ensues. And yeah, life. Yeah. And for the last, for the last five months, life has been chaotic, but even longer than that, but really, really the last five months has been chaotic. Mm-hmm. Itself, but so, I mean, it's true. I mean, every, I, and I, I've been told everybody has gifts and I think that might yeah. be true. Just, just at different levels. I don't think everybody has. Everybody's right. not going to be um, John Edwards sitting on a stage like. Right. Trying to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean bad, bad example because he's not really a real psychic. I don't think, but <laughs> I don't think at least I don't know. I I, I have well, my doubts about him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Even even I I mean I can channel I can do the healing work I I read the cards I you know I I I'm a shaman so I do shamanic work. I do all these different things, but I'm better at some of them than others. And so I find that I'm, I'm sort of now, instead of being a, 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 you know, jack of all trades kind of healer, I'm really um, dialing into the things that I find the most powerful for me. That's not the same as some of my teachers, you know, they've got different areas that they, their particular strengths are in that. And so I find that for me, at least, and a lot of the people that I, I know starting out will try a lot of things. We'll get, you know, we'll take Reiki, we'll become Reiki masters. We'll take other kinds of healing things. We'll listen to um, channelings. We'll, you know, be amongst other people who are talking about this stuff. And slowly you kind of figure out where your, you know, what your jam is. Um, and yeah, I absolutely believe everybody can, you know, open up their gifts. Not everybody wants to. Exactly. Not everybody I mean, came here to, to do that, but a lot of people did this time. So, yeah. Well. And that's funny you say that, that they didn't come here too, because it kind of brings me to a question I've been sitting on since the uh, earlier discussion, because you mentioned angels. And mm-hmm. as someone who was raised religious, but really isn't religious anymore in that sense of actually going to church and whatnot, mm-hmm. what do you actually believe, like, what do you think angels are? Because it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And it doesn't, people don't always mean like, the heavenly creatures we know from the Bible or from the Torah right. or from other writings. Here's what I've learned over the years from talking to spirit a lot. Um, and really all, whether you call them angels or gnomes or, you know, your, your ancestors, 
they're all part of just the great spirit. I call it great spirit or the universe, all that is. Um, it's God for some people, but I get a little triggered by that word. So <laughs> I don't use that word. Um, but as humans, we like names, we like categories. It helps us to understand and, and put the puzzle pieces together. So often you will find that people's experience with spirit reflects whatever culture they live in. So somebody who's mm-hmm. grown up, you know, a Hindu will experience the Hindu goddesses and goddess gods and, and the Hindu spirits um, as their spiritual people. I grew up in an Episcopal church. So for me, angels make, you know, make a lot of sense. But I also have a lot of um, Native American guides. Um, and that's from the shamanic work that I've done. My very first guide to show up was a, a Native American woman. Um, and so uh, Golden Eagle Woman is her name. And um, so it, it, the fact that we like to differentiate and like, you know, these are angels and they're maybe higher than these angels or they're, you know, the, whatever. Some people have unicorns and dragons and, you know, it's it doesn't matter. It's all the same energy, but it helps us I think it makes us more comfortable as human beings to be able to name them and identify what, what they are. I honestly did not care about doing any of that, but my, my friend, Pamela, who I have mentioned a couple of times already, um, she wanted to know when I was channeling for her, who, who am I talking to? You know, it's like, I don't, it feels kind of masculine to me. I don't know. But so she started really pushing for, for more details. She's a very, um, uh, right-brained thinker. She's a, trained as an engineer in college, you know, that kind of stuff. So oh, okay. she wanted all that kind of, you know, that she wanted to line it up and, and put it all together. Um, I am so seriously left brain um, or right brain, um, whatever. I'm, I'm the loosey goosey intuitive, put it, put the puzzle together by, you know, looking at all the pieces and going, Ooh, there click. <laughs> um, I don't think linear very easily. Um so it it really is just symbolism for us. How do we differentiate? And I have I have so many guides these days that I refer to them as my all y'all. I grew up in the deep south, so they're my all y'all because some of them I have been identified as angels. Um, I have two archangels that showed up very early for me, uh, Michael and Uriel. Michael seems to be a primary one for a lot of people. Um, he does. I'm finding. Um, I've heard that, and I've heard I knew, that I knew nothing about them. I, I didn't know anything about them because I had been a kid really when I left the church. And so I really didn't know what archangels were and who, you know, what their, what their gifts or what their specialties were. Um, but apparently it's just in the zeitgeist, you know, for, for people who've grown up in the kind of culture I have. Um, right. I have, I have a lot of native Americans. That's, that's probably most of mine are that way. I had a surfer dude. Uh, he, he had died in the 1970s. He showed up. He was it just made me laugh. And um, he eventually he very quickly actually moved on to my daughter. <laughs> it was like it's like I was a conduit for him to, to become one of her major guides. Um, and so I was able to she was telling me, Mom, I'm getting poked in the back by something. It's like, oh, that's your guides. One of your guides is trying to get your attention. And I bet I know who it is because he did that to me too, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so <laughs> she's very open to this stuff. Uh, my, my son is more the scientist kind of uh, mind uh, person. But um, so I, I really think that it's all really just the same energy. It's the energy of the universe. It's this oneness that we all came from and go back to. And that when we come in as humans, um, it, it is a, a 
particular piece of that oneness, but it's more the memories of that piece. It's not like we come in as the same person every time, but we do bring the memories, the experiences. Um, it's much like I say to my clients when I'm doing healing work, we're going to let go of the pain, but you get to keep the wisdom. So it's kind of painful to be human. I mean, really in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not easy to be a human. And there's a lot that happens in a very short period of time. And, um, and so I, my feeling is that when we, when we go back and join the oneness, you know, when we leave our bodies, that same collection of, of knowledge and wisdom and experience comes back, um, or doesn't, doesn't have to. Um, and I know that, um, there are, there are people who are here as humans the first time, but they have incarnated elsewhere before, you know, into a body of some sort before. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating, but I don't think there's any real like hierarchy of spirit. It's just, mm. it's just how we interpret it. I see so you kind of opened the door to something I was hoping you would. And I'm <laughs> good. Because I've been told before that, I, this is something I almost fully believe is that alien, I mean, the Scientology, I'm not going to get the main credit because no, they got it wrong, but mm. we are extraterrestrial spirits. We're, and when you say that they've been other bodies before, I had a feeling that's kind of what you're alluding to is that they've been to other sentient beings around this universe yeah. at some point. Yeah. And yeah. Other planets, other places. Which, I mean, makes sense because, I mean, there's no denying that there's other life forms on this in this universe because there's too many experiences with them by based yeah. on pe people's stories. That even if most people are lying, there's still some that have to be true. So, yeah. Yeah. What I, what I find often, um, I, I have an anthropology degree, a cultural anthropology degree. So I, I nice. really love culture and, and that. And, and so often you find these, similar things in diverse cultures that are, you know, beings coming mm -hmm. up, beings of light, whatever. And I just don't see any way that, that that many people will come up with the same kind of experience when they're in such diverse cultures with such different belief systems. Um, plus I, the universe is just too freaking big for there not to be other, you know, kinds of beings out there i mean that just that seems like common sense to me and it's ever expanding it's yeah. ever expanding and we are if we've only been around for so long i'm not gonna say years i don't even know how many years it's yeah. no one really knows how many years we've been around but we are not the edge of the universe so think yeah. about all the universe that came before us and how long it's been around but longer than us and mm -hmm. gee if there was any kind of life out there which i'm sure there is because there has to yeah. be yeah. When they've evolved way past the point we did to where they can do things we can't do, like mm -hmm. travel through the universe. So, I mean, or in between the universe, if you believe in ultra terrestrial, interdimensional, extraterrestrials. But, yeah, at a, at a mean, point, my brain goes, I, I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't figure that one out. <laughs> eh, Rick, Rick and Morty opened the door for a lot of people to understand that finally. <laughs> but, uh <-huh. laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, for people to say still that like, and I, maybe these spirit guides are extraterrestrial spirits as well that are coming down. I mean, star seeds are a thing for a reason and yeah. people, and I know plenty of psychics and healers who talk to what they believe are extraterrestrial spirit guides. And they mm -hmm. just are spirits from somewhere in the universe that guide them and teach yeah. them things on a daily basis and tell them how to live their lives. 
And it's usually good advice from what I hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, when I first started hearing that kind of advice, I was meditating. Um, and one day I realized I had this whole, I, I didn't call it a download at the time. I call it a download now, but I had this whole download. I was worried about one of my nieces. She was having some health issues and I wanted to help her. And I, so she was in my mind and I got this whole download about how to talk to her about, you know, what I could do to help her. And, um, and it was so wise and so loving and so not what my brain was trying to figure out. And so I dubbed it wise Lauren. <laughs> you know? It was like, wow, there's something else here. And she's really wise. And I'm just going to take, I, I'm going to take credit for it, but it's wise Lauren. It's not <laughs> this human Lauren, you know? So, so there really is. Um, and I, I really depend on communicating with my guides and I, I do it more sometimes and less other times. I sort of have a constant low grade conversation going on with them most days, but, um, but there's times and lately I've been like, I need to, I need to be more consciously in connection with them. And so I meditate or, um, I'll channel them or I will, I actually, most of the time I channel them on my computer, I'll, I'll type out my questions and then let them flow through me. I love that for people who want to play with it because when you're really connecting with spirit, you will see a difference in the language, the phrasing, the words chosen. Um, when I, um, when I do that with my guides, it's always more formal than I would be, I would be writing and speaking. And I'm a writer, so I'm very aware of what my voice is as a writer. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to be able to look at it after you're done with the conversation. I mean, you have a conversation, ask a question, get an answer, ask a question, get an answer. And then I'll go back and read it. And the first time I did that, my friend Pamela was like, Lauren, I bet you could do this. Try this. And I was shocked because it was so clearly not me answering. And that is really validating if you want to you know, play with that. Yeah. I mean, scribing or having a spirit right through you is, it's different because they they're not writing in the same word set in the same word sense in the same the hell am I thinking of <laughs> and this they're not they're not writing it in the same style you you would write yeah the metaphors like, are different the a lot of times the the um, grammatical construction of a sentence is much more formal um, I used to read a lot of like 18th and 19th century British literature so I have a real you know in my head I have a real uh, idea of what that language sounds like. And that's more what I get from my guides is that uh, more formal language of times past, I would say. Um, but I also, I love the metaphors that they use and the symbolism that they use because it's, again, it's not what, I'm always like, wow, that's good. I'm going to have to borrow that one, you know? Exactly. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's fascinating to me to, to do that. And that's something I started playing with early. And it really, um, that's where I really opened up to, to talking with my guides regularly in a conscious and purposeful way. Um, and that's a changing, that's a life-changing thing too. Yeah, which, I mean, I'm actually happy you brought up writing in a way because I did want to spend the last part of this podcast uh, talking about your books because I, mm. I just looking at the, just looking at the covers and reading the descriptions of like the series, I'm like, I kind of want to read these now because I <laughs> am a sucker. I'm a sucker for some good magic realism and some... Yeah. Uh, Romance involved definitely always is a plus. 
but yeah, I, well, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that. What can I, say? <laughs> I, I used to read a lot of fantasy. Um, my older brother, he's eight years older than me. He um, handed me The Hobbit when I was about 10 or 11. And I devoured it. And he said, oh, good. You liked it here. There's three more stories, you know, and he handed me the trilogy. Um, so I, I read that and um, and that kind of led me into a, a, a long relationship with high fantasy. Um, I loved Marion Zimmer Bradley and Anne McCaffrey and, and a whole bunch of others. Uh, Mercedes Lackey is another favorite. I don't read a lot of that anymore, but when it came to writing, I spent a lot of years trying to figure out what I wanted to write. I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't know what I wanted to write. And it was a little over, no, it was a lot overwhelming to me to think about having to do the world building of fantasy. Um, but I realized because I have Scottish roots. And so I've been to Scotland a couple of times and, and uh, grew up with the American clan Gregor society here. Uh, my grandparents were a big part of that. And I went to a lot of their things. I grew up with this understanding of my Scottish roots and Highlanders. And, you know, all of them were Highlanders. McGregor's were like the black sheep of the Highlanders, period. Um, horse thieves and all kinds of things. But um, so I thought, you know what? I can research that. I don't have to make it up. I can research that. Well, I chose the 1300, right around 1300, which turned out to be about the time of the Braveheart movie. I don't know if you ever saw it, but um, it's, it's that same period of history in Scotland. Um, and that came... That I had already chosen my time period before that came out. Um, and so I thought, okay, so in the culture of this time, magic was accepted. It was a part of the culture. You had seers, you had the medicine women, you had, you know, the, the dowsers to find you water, that kind of thing. And it was just an accepted part of the culture. So I thought, well, how cool would that be? Because then I could bring in the sort of high fantasy magic but I wouldn't have to go build a whole world. I could just research the world. I could go visit this place. And so I did my friend Pamela and I went to Scotland for a trip and um, to do research. We went to 10 castles, 10 medieval castles in five days, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Nice. Um, so that was why I sort of landed in, in um, medieval Scotland. I had also become a, a, a romance writer in my quest of what do I want to write or a romance reader. So that had led me to romances. And then I discovered Scottish romances. And I, that's when I kind of went, okay, that's the perfect storm for me. Um, so my first book is actually about a healer. And she doesn't, she doesn't like her healing gift because it's being misused by, you know, the, 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 the villain in the story. And, um, and so it's about her journey to accepting her gift and, um, and meeting somebody who helps her because she doesn't fight it. It doesn't hurt her anymore because it, when she's not doing it willingly, it hurts to come through her. Um, and I wrote that long before I knew that was, gosh, I sold that one in 2002. So I think it came out in 2002. Um, so <laughs> how many years ago is that now? Um, and so that was, that was my first one. And, and that's the one that it ran, it won the national reader's choice award. It won two unpublished awards just before it got bought. Um, I landed my agent with it, you know, so I, that was a magical book for me. And that's called the devil of Kilmartin. Um, and I actually imagined the, the story starting in a stone circle and I knew what it looked like. And then I realized it existed. 
So I had imagined it, never knew that the Kilmartin Glen was, was there, never heard of it before. I didn't know the name of it, but I knew what I was looking for on a map as a place where this would make sense. And there it was. So I actually end up, I, I have photographs. They're actually, you know, printed old style, old school photographs of me in the circle that I had imagined this story starting in. Um, and I found with all of my books, when I went looking for, when I, when I would imagine what I wanted for the story, I would go looking, I would lay maps out on my, my floor of my office and I would just kind of be intuitively led. That looks like a good spot. What's going on? Oh, look, they have a castle where the falls, where the wall has fallen, which I'd already written for one of my books, you know, having a castle where the, one of the walls fell at the beginning of the book. And that was right there. <laughs> so it's, it's this amazing confluence of my intuition, Pat, past life, I'm convinced I've lived there before. I felt like I was coming home when I went there as an adult. Um, and, and, and the, you know, the writing part I came in. So all of my books have really strong women. Four of the six books have this sort of magical aspect to them. Two of them are, are considered straight, you know, traditional historical romance. Um, and they're very good, but they don't have the, the paranormal aspect to them. Um, in fact, one of those charming, uh, charming the shrew. I didn't want to tame her. I wanted her charmed. Um, uh, is my bestseller, and that's just a straight historical. So, um, yeah. but yeah, well, who, so who it's it's fun. Who doesn't love a good historical romance? I mean, come on now. Oh yeah. Uh, there's there's enough Doctor Who fans out there to make that to sell that book hundred times over. So yeah. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> good. But, I mean, it's, it's just. I mean, I'm a history. I'm a, I've always been a history buff in a way, so I, history to me is very special. It, mm -hmm. You can tell a lot of stories in history that easily could have happened in some form or degree. But yeah, yeah, well, and I, I love the medieval time in Scotland because it was not a um, a literate society. They didn't. They weren't taught to read and write. Um, yeah. So you know the the wealthy were, but so there's not a lot written about what their day-to-day -day life is. So I really, I really went to the culture and the, the archeology span and, um, and based a lot of, of what I brought into the books on that. And that was fun. Cause I got to bring in my anthropology stuff. Of course. I mean, anthropology, it's one of those things I always thought about doing, but I was like, you're not going to be, there's no work. Jones. There's no work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what, that's one of those, that's one of those degrees when your parents are like, that's great, but what are you going to do with it? <laughs> like that's like going to get a bachelor's in art okay on the other hand i find i find i've used it quite a lot in my in my work because it helps you me understand people <laughs> you, you found you, you found a knack for it yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a good that's a good thing <laughs> well why don't you tell my audience where they could find your books where they could find you where they could find your spiritual services everything about you so everything is on my website which is heartlightjoy.com my books are all available on Amazon, um, mostly there because Amazon is my official publisher. Uh, they have their own publishing house. Um, and uh, they also come in Audible, so you can get them there. And uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and all the links to that are on my website. So heartlightjoy.com. You can buy my books directly through my website. They'll come from Amazon. Um, I do get a tiny little kickback from that. Uh, that's what supports my own reading habit. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. And if you want to have a, a, a chat with me, I offer a free call. Um, and that's also available on my website. And then if you want to sign up for my newsletter, um, which comes out about once a week, 
uh, you can um, do that and you'll get a free download from me, my top three ways to communicate with your spirit guides. And then I also have a podcast, Curiously Wise, Practical Spirituality in Action. Oh, I didn't realize you had a podcast. Yeah. Dang, I would have... I, I'll make sure I'll, 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 all these things will be in the add it to your add it to your list. <laughs> I shall. And folks, if you don't get yeah, if you don't get a chance to write down as as you're listening to this, it will all be in the description. Of course, I always try to make sure my guests are well represented. But appreciate that. <laughs> of course, it's why I do this. And I want to thank Lauren for coming on. It's been a fun, very yeah. insightful conversation that I enjoyed immensely. Yeah, unfortunately, me too. I, I, unfortunately, I gotta go clean out chicken coop. So you know, it's. <laughs> So I have to go do work actually instead of having fun. But, but well, I really uh, appreciate this. This has been a fun conversation. Of course. And to all my listeners, watchers, thank you. Uh, like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching. And you know where you can find me if you don't listen to the outro. I'm not going to shame you this time. I'm in a good mood. But still, shame if you don't know. But <laughs> I, I will see you guys again, I believe, Mon Sunday this week. I'll see you Sunday this week. Don't worry. And I'm pretty sure, maybe tomorrow even. I think I might have something tomorrow. I don't know anymore. I lose track. <laughs> but I'll see you next sometime next few days. Until then, have a good one. And one last time, thank you, Lauren, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. You can find me on Facebook as Jeremy Bryant, or you can find me as Uncensored, Unapologetic, and Untamed UQ Podcast Collective group, Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the Instagram as at JuggaloBastard, or should I say X now? And you can find me on TikTok as at JuggaloBastard Podcast. You can also find me on YouTube as Paranormal the New Normal. And you can also find me streaming on YouTube as Blind Knowledge Network, because all knowledge is blind until they admit Bigfoot exists.